I felt the front roller come around and hit my head, knock my hat off and stuff. And uh, I knew that the next one, it would put me in far enough, it was going to hit about my ear. It was going to take the top of my head off, and that would be it. You know, I'd be dead. There's no, and I was aware of that, you know, and this is, it couldn't even have been a half a second period of time, but all these things were going through my mind. Okay, yeah. that hit me there. All right. Hope I've done everything right because the next one is going to kill me. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. An unbelievable farming accident almost killed Ron Tebow, and it changed his life forever. Find out what happened, what saved his life, and how he eventually became not just a farmer, but also a poet. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Glad you're here, continuing with me on my journeys all over Washington State to get to know the real people behind our food. You know, I have a, a real, real strong belief that that this is a small part. You know, that that we're responsible for the things we do, and you know, uh, it's not it's not about trying to make everything perfect. It's about having a sense of that. This is a big deal. This is important. What we do is important and how we do it and, and the way we present ourselves and the way yeah. we think about stuff and so on. It's important. And so... When you say this is important, what's this? This is more... Uh, I'm talking about... Life? Life. The way you live. Yeah. The way... You know, I just raise crops. That's what I do. I mean, I raise horses and cows and crops. I raise products of one kind mm -hmm. or another. But it's important how I do that and how I conduct myself as an individual in that venture, you know, in that process of doing things. So, uh, you know, you get around some people and they just don't care. You know, mm -hmm. they just they just do what they're doing. And, you know, if they can get, uh, you know, something a little bit cheaper, by golly, they do it because they yeah. feel like that's that's them being responsible or something. You know, yeah. they've related that to me anyway. And uh, my feeling is, if it ain't right, I should not be doing it. I might do it anyway, but <laughs> you know, but I should not be, you know. And I yeah. understand that, you know. It's not. It doesn't sail over my head, and I lose that. Thank goodness, because I think it's really important. And um, you know, when uh, have we started yet? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Why not? So um, when I when I was just out of school. I was... Uh, high school or college? High school, yeah. Um, I was really bent on being noticed, you know. So I got a fast car. And and, and I was a twin, so you lose some of your identity there maybe. And, yeah. and um, so that summer from June until December, I was cutting a pretty wide swath. I'll be honest with you. I was not... I was not holding back much. I was going as fast as I could and driving my car fast and and so on and so forth. And and then in December, and my dad had had an aneurysm that year. And the doctor, I remember plain as day, the doctor told us, well, he's going to die. So, and he had never been sick ever. I'd never seen him in the hospital. He had a little bit of back problems, but, but he, he never was sick, you know, never did have a busted leg or anything, you know, when I was long as I was growing up, he was always real active, real capable, real strong. And, um, and then he had an aneurysm and he was shut down, you know, mm. had brain surgery and it yeah. was a mess and I was lost. I didn't know what to do. And I wanted a farm, but, 
but I, you know, I didn't know how to do that by myself, and I was just getting started at anything. Was he farming at he, that yeah, before he was that? Farming. Yeah, he. That's all he's ever done. And I think he started in '63, and that was in '73. So he'd been farming for ten years, kind of on his own or on his own. Yeah. And uh, and you know there were three of us boys and and a sister, and we all lived at home when that happened. Well, my older brother had moved away, but but we were all living at home, you know, real close family, and, you know, everybody was there. And when he had that aneurysm, it was like it just, I was just set back. I didn't know what to do. I, You know, here's Dad, my pillar, my rock, my everything, yeah. and, and he's boogered up. And so that summer, um, when we graduated from school, my twin brother moved out that day. And mm. I was just kind of under the assumption, well, not only do I need to help dad, but I want to, you know, I don't have anything going on. I don't, I have no idea what I want to do in life other than farm. And, you know, I had a horse that I was training and, and we had cows up by Canada. That was our summer, our summer pasture. So I was doing that and I loved that. I mean, I was in love with those cows and rounding up and the horses and so on. And, they were all just common horses. There wasn't anything fancy about them. But I had a horse that a guy had given me that was a colt, and he wasn't broke at all. And so I was training on him and fiddling with him and stuff. Well, that summer we were feeding our calves here on this place, and uh, there was a feedlot that we were feeding them in. And uh, so we were chopping hay. We were feeding our calves, and I was working for the guy that used to own this place. And, um, and so... It, we were chopping hay, and I got my hand caught in a hay chopper and cut it off. Cut it off halfway between my wrist and my elbow. And that was my, I was 19 years old. I just turned 19. And, uh, and so here I am, and I was right-handed. And so I didn't have a right hand. I couldn't, I couldn't even, you know, feed myself with my left hand. It didn't feel like, couldn't right. write. And uh, so I was completely lost. Mm. My dad had had this thing going on, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was working on the farm. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Had this horse I was working on, and and uh, now I'm just lost. I don't know what. To, I woke up in the hospital. I, I remember when I went in, you know, just right after it happened, I was in the emergency room, I think. Yeah. And I looked up, and I told Dad, I says, shoot, I'm not going to be able to do anything. And he looked me right in the eye, and he says, I don't ever want to hear you say say that again. Hmm. He says, you can do whatever you want to do. That's not on the table, you hmm. know. And and I just, okay, Dad said it, so we'll see if we can make it work. Yeah. And I woke up and uh, uh, from surgery and all that kind of stuff, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, you look down, and you've got a little little stump there and instead of a hand, and... Hmm. I was lost. I mean, I didn't know how I was going to do anything. And and then, you know, it was it was not like I could still feel my hand. still can to this day feel my hand. Really? So it, so it feels like, like you have a hand thinking, there. Hey, just a minute. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it feels like it's in, in the position it was in when it got cut off. You know, I had to hold a pair of pliers. And, um, and so, you know, here I am thinking, well, shoot, I can't, I can't uh, ski. I can't play basketball i can't bat you know yeah. all the you know can't ride a horse because you can't even get on one anymore and so i'm thinking well what what in tarnation am i going to do mm. and uh how am i even going to live i i can't see any way to to 
make things work. You know, I'm right-handed, and I'm I can't can't write, can't you know even eat. It, it, it seemed to me anyway. That's yeah. what that's what was going through my mind. Yeah, it's not the reality of what it was, but that's what was. But going a through dark my mind. place. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, I mean, just uh, just you can imagine. You hear kids talk about, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, you know, and and they're so capable. They mm. they have so much in front of them. And here I was, um, one handed all of a sudden. And so anyway, to make a long story short, I just I just put my head down and I said, I'm going to figure it out somewhere or other. Mm. I'm just, you know, just lean into it. And, you know, I'm going to figure this son of a gun out, and it just isn't going to, it's not going to topple me over. And uh, I got a hook, and boy, I didn't want to wear that darn thing. It had this fast car, don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> had to take a new driving test, and it was a stick shift, and that was your shifter hand. Yeah. So I'm reaching across, and I'm shifting, and, you know, the guy's saying, I don't, you know, I don't think you can do this. You got to have. You know, you got to have turn signals, and you got to have this and that. You know, and I said, "Forget that. I'll figure it out." You know, I'll. This is my car. You know, yeah. you're not going to take my car. So I figured out. You know, you can just reach across and shift, and you know, you got your hook on the steering wheel, and you're, you know, whatever you do. You, you know, I figured it out. Yeah. And uh, and and I could still drive it pretty fast too. By the way, <laughs> what kind of car was it? It was a Cuda. It was a 1970 Cuda AAR. And they only made a few of them, you know. And this was a. Wow. I looked at it the other day, and uh, and one just like mine, same color and everything, sold for a hundred thousand bucks. And uh, you know, wow. I probably should have kept it. So, <laughs> so I sold it for eighteen hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you know, that's so, my dad's story too with his GTO. I was oh, yeah. on the way, and yeah. so they had to sell the the '68 GTO. Oh, you son of a gun. It was my fault. Was I, fault. I, yeah. I carry guilt to this yeah. day about yeah. that. Yeah. He sold it for 800 bucks, and I'm like, <laughs> I calculated it out. Dad, if you would have kept that, what you could have made on it now yeah. would pay for the storage yeah. <laughs> that exactly. whole time yeah. at today's rates. Yeah, you'd be just fine. <laughs> but, you know, it was, um, it was a real, it was a tough time, but it was a good time. I feel to this day that me losing my hand was pivotal. You know, I think every one of us have a little, um, or not a little, but a time in our life where we're at a um, a, a moment of reckoning. Yeah, crossroads. We have to make things. We have to make some important decisions. Yeah, and we usually don't have enough intelligence or enough experience to know that we're even in that time. But when you look back, you said, "Well, that was definitely." And so I'm, you know, when I was in the chopper, I'm you know, being swallowed up by this darn mm. thing. I'm pulling as hard as I can. I can hear and my shoulder. it was shoulder. pulling you in. Yeah, it was just, just sucking me right in there. And I could hear my shoulder, things, you know, coming loose or whatever they were doing, and I'm pulling as hard as I can. And um, and so uh, uh, I didn't, you know, I just assumed. I felt the front roller come around and hit my head, knock my hat off and stuff. And uh, I knew that the next one, it would put me in far enough, it was going to, hit about my ear. It was going to take the top of my head off, and that would be it. You know, I'd be dead. There's no, and I was aware of that, you know, and this is, it couldn't even have been a half a second period of time, but all these things were going through my mind. Okay, yeah. that hit me there. All right, hope I've done everything right, because the next one is going to kill me. And I was thinking about all this stuff, and I was, you know, 
This is all going through my mind, and I was calm about it and so on. I wasn't, you know, freaking out or anything. I was pulling hard, but um, there was no pulling back. And right at that instant, Dad was there, and he started grabbing my arm before I even knew it was caught. And, uh, and he jumped over me and just run up and hit a lever on the machine that reversed everything, spit me back out. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there looking around, uh, and I didn't know that I was alive or dead. I had no idea because I was so sure that I was going to get killed right there, that it was going to kill me, that I wasn't keenly aware that I'm still alive. And I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. And, I, you know, this was probably another quarter of a second or something. Yeah. But, uh, but I figured out, okay, I'm alive. So I was thankful, you know. I was, yeah. And from, that was really important for me, you know, on down the road as I tried to reconcile a hand with a hook and looking at that. It didn't look right. Oh, man. And so, um, and, and, and I even had a, a hand, you know, a fake hand. That mm-hmm. It was all state industrial covered. So I said, well, I want a hand instead of a hook. And so they gave me one, you know, paid, you know, made me one, and uh, put it on there and stuff, and and it was just like a club. And I knew when I put it on, I, well, this can't do anything. You can't hold a, a glass of water. Or you can't do anything with it. But it it does open and close, or it did open and close. So, uh, well, that's better than nothing. I, I can probably make that work. But it was so um, delicate, and, and it wasn't delicate, but it was delicate compared to. You know, yeah. picking up bales and stuff. He couldn't even begin to pick up bales. So anyway, uh, I ruined that right away. I just, <laughs> I just destroyed that thing, and uh, and I didn't mean to. I I really wanted it to be good. I wore it one time in public, and and um, you know, some people were kind of kind of okay with it. You know, I mean, there's a stigma that, particularly kids, but but even my buddies, my pals around town, see that hand and they thought, okay, well. Tebow's back, you know, mm-hmm. and nope, nope, Tebow's not back. This mm. is a new Tebow. This is not the same old Tebow. And so, uh, you know, it was an important time, and, and I decided then and there that it was it was important enough for me that I began living my life differently. Mm. And the things that were important to me, they just shucked away like, like the wind just blew away, like chaff, you know, just blew it away, and it was gone, that that was so important, you know, those girls I was trying to impress. Oh, I was dating a girl, by the way, and she dumped me cold. She says, I just can't handle it. I can't handle a, a, a one-handed guy. I just, really? I can't get, I can't get wow. along with that. And, uh, and I, I thought she was pretty pretty sweet, you know, and, yeah. and I, you know, that was a big deal to me. And I don't think to this day, if, if she remembers it, she'd never said anything to me about it. I haven't seen her much at all since then, but... But uh, she never made any more contact with me, and I never made any more contact mm. with her. And I wasn't mad at her. Yeah. It's just she couldn't handle it. Well, I can't change it either. So yeah. we're both stuck in the mud here, buddy, because <laughs> I only got one hand, and that's the way I'm going to be the rest of my life, and that's okay with me. But but uh, if you can't handle it, there's no need in yeah. us playing games. And And it was that sort of mentality that I just fell into or, you know, was – uh, that was who I was from that moment yeah. on, and uh, and so <clears throat> you know as I as I go along, um, you know I I tried writing with my left hand in college and I couldn't read my writing and there was a lot of writing involved you know yeah. long papers and things like that 
and I had some really dear friends that helped me out that, you know, there was a lady that she knew how to type. She yeah. could type faster than I could talk. Wow. And so it really, it, it was really helpful. And, uh, and so I've had some really good people in my life that helped me. Didn't even know they helped me, but they helped me anyway. And, uh, and, and I really, I, I still remember them dearly in my heart. Quick break to thank our sponsors. Real Food, Real People podcast wouldn't be possible without Mana Insurance Group supporting us. Thank you very much to them uh, for their support, as well as just being who they are, which are really honest, straight up, straightforward, good people in a world when it's hard to know who you can trust. Uh, and I trust the folks at Mana Insurance Group with my insurance needs. They work with a lot of different companies. They can find the right fit for you, and they help you plan ahead rather than just react when something goes wrong. Check them out online, manainsurancegroup.com. Also, Dairy Farmers of Washington supporting the podcast with their generous sponsorship. You can find them at wadairy.org where they're constantly sharing the stories of the real people behind the, f the dairy products that we eat here in Washington State, as well as more information about those dairy products, their nutrition, uh, their sustainability, and so much more. Really appreciate what they do to, uh, to tell the real story of, of Washington Dairy, wadairy.org, the Dairy Farmers of Washington. Now back to our conversation with hay farmer and poet Ron Tebow in Moses Lake. It, you know, so I got out of that and started chugging along, and and it was like a steam engine. It was kept going and kept going faster, and pretty soon I'm clicking along. And what were I, you doing? I when I got out of when I when I got my hand cut off and stuff, I farmed for another couple of farmed for for another couple of years. Um, working with dad on the farm and he yeah. was he was getting well very well and um so he recovered from the aneurysm. yeah yeah he did he recovered fine and wow had no no long-term effects of that from that at all and um and and i could get on a horse by the way got right back on and and i thought well this ain't no big deal yeah. at all where there's a will there's a way yeah it was like yeah. okay you haven't got the hand but you weren't going to do anything with that hand anyway it's about your connection with that horse and how you you know connect with them and get them to do what you want to do and set it up and so on you don't need your right hand to do that you can do that with your left hand too yeah. and so um that 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 taught me a lot you know being around that darned horse and he was a he was a dud of a horse never mm. not at all one of my favorite horses but you know i just i just decided i'm going to do something i don't even know what and i didn't care what and I got a, an offer to go down to uh, Oregon, and I lived with a family, a really good family. And I lived with them, and I was going to teach school down there. Mm. I was always good in math. And they needed somebody in a private school down there to teach math. So I went down there. As soon as I got down there, there was no opening. There was, it never was. And I didn't know it. I thought there was. I thought I understood them. They said there was. And as mm. I got down there, there was no opening. I had no job. I was just living down you know, down the Willamette Valley. And when I drove down there, I, I had a brand new car, by the way. I'd bought a brand new car. And um, the state gave me, I can't, I can't remember the dollar amount. I think it was 16,000 bucks. Mm. And uh, they gave it to me at 200 bucks a month or something like that. Mm. It was just, just a little bit of money each month. And, uh, but that's what I was living on. I, that was plenty for me to live on. I was <laughs> living with a family, didn't have to pay any rent. And it didn't have to buy groceries and stuff. And these people, I think they 
they sort of felt like we're helping a handicapped guy, you know, a guy that mm-hmm. had some trouble. Well, little did they know, I'm kicking my heels up, man. I'm having fun. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm chasing girls and just like <laughs> I always had. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, when I got down there, but, but, uh, Another guy thought he was going to help this handicapped guy out, and uh, I'm going to give him a job in an insurance office, and I'm going to pay him 300 bucks a month. And I didn't know the first thing about insurance, but I found I really liked it because mm. I could help people. Mm. And I started seeing that inside of me was it was so important for me to help people. Mm. You know, just just reach out and help them some way or other. And to this day, it's still important to me. So um, I I... You know, being in the insurance business, you don't even talk to people unless there's something wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they they don't they don't like to talk insurance and so on. But yeah. generally speaking, but um, you know, it was real it was real uh, rewarding for me to help people in their time of need. You know, I I remember a lady um, uh, got in a car wreck and one of her kids got killed, mm. and it was it was just heart wrenching. I mean, it was terrible for her. And, uh, and I, you know, talked with her quite a little bit and, uh, and, and she felt, or she told me anyway, that she felt better after talking to me. So I thought, you know, this, this is really important to me and I want to incorporate that into who I am and how I live my life and stuff. So, so, um, so I went, I was down there for a few years and pretty soon, um, I said, you know, somehow I want to get back in around cows somehow or other. And. I'd gotten married at that time, and my wife and I were driving around uh, just out in the country. And I saw these cows, and I said, whoever owns those cows is probably going to need some help. And we snooped around and found the guy that that had those cows. And he says, you won't believe this, but my hired man just quit today. I'll hire you today. Wow. And I says, I'm your guy. (laughs) So I started working for him. And, I mean, it was just like, okay, I wanted, I, I said to myself, I'm I'm going to get around these cows again somehow. Or other. I'm going to get out of the insurance business. I'm going to get around cows somehow or other. And I mean, these people were gold, pure gold all the way. They they were the some of the best people I've ever met in my life. But mm. it was because of it, I mean, I I felt like it was because I said to myself, I'm not giving myself a bunch of options here. I'm going to get around cows. And I saw them, and I said, There's a bunch of them there. They got to feed them somehow or other. And you just went snooping around and you know motored into their their place or you know where they yeah. lived and so on, and they they had about uh, you know four hundred head of Brangus cows and he was an elderly guy he was probably seventy or seventy five years old and he couldn't do it you know and down there in the Willamette Valley they had uh, three string bales he couldn't even lift them mm-hmm. you know and here I was I'm horking th- these things around you can lift those with a hook oh yeah. Yeah, watch this. And I stacked them up, and you know, you get a truckload in, and everybody else was huffing and puffing. And I'm, you know, at that time, I was just spring steel all the way. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just working my hind end off, and, yeah. and you know, I'm huffing and puffing a little bit, but nothing like they were. And I just did what I did, you know, and get ready to load hay on the pickup to go feed or the trailer, or whatever it was, and and uh, you know, I just load the bales up. It was no big deal to me, but they were like 150 pounds, and and uh, so it was. It was just a really important time. And the one thing I noticed is we started feeding in about August of the first year I was there. And from the day that we f- 
the day we first started feeding it rained and it mm-hmm. never it was either raining or snowing every single day we fed and i wondered at the time when i first went on this place i wondered where do they have barns everywhere what's the big deal because i'd always worked out in the open you know you crows yeah. were out in the open and everything why do you have all these barns around here roofs everywhere you know yeah well it's because it rained all the time yeah and i mean it rained every single day when i was feeding and i said this is for the birds i'm done with this and uh you where know, was I, this at it was down at Lacombe. Well, you know where uh, Albany, Oregon is? Sort of, yeah. Yeah. It's halfway between Salem and Eugene is Albany. Yeah. And then uh, east of that, about 15 miles, a little town called Lebanon. Okay. And then yep. outside of Lebanon is a little town called Lacombe. And it was, hmm. all it was is a school and a gro- and a grocery grocery store, gas station, hardware store combo. Yep. You know, one store. That was the whole town. And uh, and they lived in that little, or they lived just outside of that little town. And it was one of these show places where a guy in California had bought it. They had the painted fences, and it was beautiful. They had a big, sprawling ranch house that was all one level, and they had two, fa- it was like a duplex where they shared the living room. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they had their own kitchen, but the living room was shared. So there was a house, kind of a separate house living deal on each end. And uh, they would come up every once in a while, the owner would, and I met him. And uh, he was in um, the hangers for, on aircraft, they have to have certain kind of hangers that hang the wires and, mm-hmm. you know, that they run all the wires and the tubes and everything through. And they had a rubber lining on that. And uh, since he saw my hook, he says, hey, how do you get that rubber on there? I said, well, I just send it in. They put a new one on there or whatever, you know. I said, it. these last about a month. And... A month, he says, you're going to go through 12 of them in a year? I said, well, so far, yeah. Hopefully not all the time. But yeah. So he says, I think I can help you out. So he took one of my hooks with him, and I've never heard from him since then. Not one, no kidding. Not one word. Still He's waiting got one for of my hooks somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, know whether, I don't know what happened. I still don't know to this so, day. So, yeah, how does that work? How does that stay on? So if you're moving rubber, a bale, it doesn't just... It's vulcanized on there. You know, that rubber is... Yeah, this one is about a week old, and you can see on my on my arm here. It, it you can see where it's cracked. Yeah, that's from beating on stuff. <laughs> you know, they <laughs> you had, use your arm as a hammer. Well, then normally, well, look at it. See how it's all all jimmed up there. Yeah, that's that's from hitting stuff. I missed the missed this or you know quacka. <laughs> this is all busted up. I need a new one in the worst yeah. way. But when they first started building them. They didn't have the steel part on them. Mm-hmm. And I says, hey, guys, let's put a little steel on <laughs> That will help me out a lot. <laughs> so they, they put it on there. And uh, so I've designed a lot of things on this hook that make it a little little more usable, friendly. Yeah. How does and that you, even work? How does it stay attached to your arm? It, it hooks on my elbow. I've so, got a stump about that long. But what, what I, so I guess it, I've never thought about it. Fits it fits down it, in there. Because if you're lifting a bale, that's some torque. <laughs> Pretty strong guy here. Well, yeah, that. but how, how does the how does the hook keep up and stay on? Yeah, that's it, impressive. It goes around the. It fits. Ah. If you fit, if you feel, if you think about it, if you could get something hooked on the back of your big bone in your elbow, yep. you know, and then then sense. it doesn't come off because you've got two little ones that kind of stick out on the side. Yep. And this goes around. It just kind of fits. Yep. You know, I just fit my arm down in there, and she yep. just stays hooked on. Take it off every night. You know, huh. that way you're. 
safer for your wife <laughs> when you're sleeping. <laughs> she brings that up. You know, Don't like, leave that. Oh, first time we were dancing, you know, I go to twirl her around. Waka, right? <laughs> That's a lot harder than arm. We quit dancing right there. <laughs> the dance was over. Yeah, that's funny. So, so anyway, you know, it's uh, there. There's just you know some logistics of having a hook that are different, but they're not. They're not worse. It, it's mm-hmm. not worse than a hand. It's just different than a hand. And yeah. Yeah, there's probably can, more certain things that you can do that you yeah, can't do with yeah, a hand. Yeah. Like so, stick the hook into something hot to pick yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I try to do that stuff. and I burn my finger. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. That was a hot piece of steel. Yeah, I well, just you're a weenie too. Don't forget that. You know, <laughs> you just reach down and grab that and pick it up. No big deal. <laughs> so you know, they're just once I got my mind around the notion that that this is just different. It's not worse. It's not better. It's just different. You know, it's just like the guy that's strong. You know, mm-hmm. really physically is strong doesn't mean he's better than you it just means he's different than you and he can you know or the guy that can think the i've been around a lot of engineers in my life and and uh you know they just have a way of thinking about things that doesn't make them better it just makes them different and they have an addition it's like uh one of the ingredients in the soup so to speak and and they just add to it and, and that's sort of where i'm at and uh but once i got my mind it was important for me to get my my mind around that notion that this isn't better and it's not worse. It's just different. Yeah. So little kids come up. It used to really bother me when kids would stare and point and stuff, yeah. you know, mom and dad, Hey, do you see that guy? He's got a hook or you got something on his arm. And, uh, shoot, I get those kids off to the side. Hey, come here. You want to see this darn thing? You think you can get it to open? <laughs> well, I don't know if I can either. You know, I tease them and I play with them and so yeah. on. And I would say at least 75% of them, Go back to their mom. Hey, I want one of those. <laughs> I want to get one of those. <laughs> I said, I know how you get them. Just yeah. stay away yeah, from don't, that. Don't, yeah, don't do uh, any of this. Not all this crap. Hey, chopping. Yeah, really. <laughs> so, but you know, it's just a mindset. It's just a yeah. a mentality that says, um, you know, I got something to add. So it changed everything for me. It changed yeah. everything. You know, whether it be farming or or you know, doing poetry or whatever it is, it changed everything. So, you know, here I am, um, my, my first wife and I got divorced and, you know, I was having a tough time with it. I loved my fam, loved my family and, and loved her as far as that goes and mm-hmm. was thinking this is forever kind of a deal. Yeah. And, and so, uh, uh, when that fell apart, I'm thinking, well, shoot, what do you do? How do you, how do you do this? So I, I was talking to a preacher a uh, guy that I knew in town here, and he was, uh, his mindset was, and I think it had a lot to do with just the way he had lived his life. Everything was biblical-oriented, yep. and one of the things they talk about is the gifts from God, the gifts of the Spirit, I think is what mm-hmm. they call it, you know, like prophecy and and um, evangelism and things like that. He said, well, what, what do you figure your gift is? And I said, my gift is farming. You know, I'm pretty sure people need to eat, and I'm pretty sure God tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Is there any chance I get you to grow some food?" Hmm. I said, "Yep." Raised my hand and said, "Yep, I'll do that." And uh, and so I feel like I'm not just I'm not just living, I'm not just punching the time clock. I'm doing something important, and uh, you know everybody's got to eat, 
And that's the reason when Sue started doing her thing, the uh, agrodot culture, mm-hmm. I said, what you're doing is so important. I think it's more important than you even realize. Mm. Because, um, you know, for people to understand that, that these aren't just a bunch of yahoos out here, a bunch of hayseeds that are doing something. They're doing something they were called to do, you know, by and large. You're not going to be a farmer too long unless you've got it in yeah. your blood. Yeah. And, uh, and so from the time that I started, I said, you know, I started raising heifers and, and so on. And, um, and then just kind of morphed into custom haying. A lot of what I do is custom haying. I custom fed cattle for a while and I really enjoy animals. Um, but, yeah. but, um, the farming part of it was like, okay, somebody's got to do this. Are you willing to do it? Yep, yeah. I'll do it. And um, w- when you have a mindset that says, I'm not just going to be center cut. I'm going to be at the top of the class in terms of putting hay up or baling hay or whatever. And the guy that I farm for lives over on the coast there. And um, and I told him, I said, uh, you know, one thing I want I want you to know from the beginning is that I will treat your stuff as if it was God himself asking me to do it. I said, I won't cheat you. I won't cut any corners. I'm just going to do the best I can at it. And what that is is what that is. Sometimes it'll turn out better than better than other times. Yeah. But there's probably a lesson in there or something, some reason why it happens. I don't know what it is, but what I can say is I don't control the weather, <laughs> but I do control whether I'm willing to go to work. Yeah. I control that part. So... When it's time to work, it's time to work. You know, hot, cold, whatever. It's time to work, so I work. You know, and uh, and it's been it's been something I feel like I can hold my head high on over the over the course of my life um, as it relates directly to farming. That's what I've done, and I've done it the best I could. I don't think I'm I don't think I'm extraordinary. I just think I'm I'm one of those guys that does what they can do and do it the best they can, and that's all. That's all. That's all yeah. I feel like I've been asked to do, yeah. and I've tried to do that. Tried to uphold that. Um, but you know, when I when I met Sue, you know, when we when we were dating and stuff, we went to a poetry gathering over in Ephrata, and uh, I told her, I said, I can do that. She so said, you hadn't been a poet before then? No, not really. The only poetry I'd done, I'd done some in school, you mm-hmm. know, and and I. I always enjoyed words and how how you could put them together and come up with some statement. And yep. I was always trying to impress some girl somewhere. <laughs> and, and I flunked so bad at that. You know, I'd come up with the Shakespearean, you know, words together, and it sounded so good when I thought it in my head. <laughs> and he'd come out, and she'd say, you're a quack, man. You're, you're, <laughs> you know, you're a weirdo or something, yeah. you know, kind of a deal. Or, or at least convey that to me. Yep. But I told Sue, I says, I can do that. And uh, she said, well, okay, I'm, I'm not questioning whether you can. I'm questioning whether you will. And I said, yep, I will. And um, so by the next year, she said, I want to see you up on that stage, same stage, in one year from now. So I come home, and I mean, poems started coming to me in my mind. And, and they were there were so many of them that they were like they were jumbled together. You know, the words that... that you know, I, and so I had to kind of discipline myself. Okay, get this one done before you start on that one, and then get this one done before you start on that one. And and so, uh, you know, I probably had 
40 or 50 poems in my mind wow. that I'd never written down. Had them all. What would you say your style is? Are these like narrative telling a story or painting a picture these, or kind of what? These are just the dumbest things you ever heard in your life. I, well, I doubt that. <laughs> no, no, they're, they're all, they're all from personal yeah. either viewpoint or an experience or there are some that I've written that, that I'm really proud of. I, I am really proud of them. I wanted to write uh, a poem that, that, um, that just expressed how I feel about the patriotism that is necessary in a free society. Hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, I kind of rattled it around my head and, 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 and I feel, you know, in all honesty, I don't, think I can take much credit for any of this because words come to me that they're it's like beyond me it's it's way above mm. my my intelligence level. <laughs> and yeah, you too and yourself. and they just you know they just float into my mind and um and I put them together and it's kind of like um it's kind of like uh, somebody who who understands calculus or understands engineering or you know yeah. they it's just it's just a gift they've been given and that's kind of where I feel like I'm at. So, but I wanted to write one about um, uh, the, the veterans. Want to write one about my mom and my dad. My mm -hmm. mom, and then one about my dad. And um, and I'm really proud of the poems that I've wrote regarding. I wanted to write one about Sue, and um, you know how we met, and what I thought, and what was going through my mind, and how it all worked, and and all that. And I did. And and I'm proud of it. I don't. I don't think it's anything that is going to sell a million or anything like that. But you did do a book. I did do a book. Okay. Actually, I wrote the poems and Sue did the book <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. I don't know the first thing about publishing yeah. and everything. But um, where can people find that? Like where? Oh, it's gone. It's out it's, of print. It's we sold them all, hmm. and the master copy of it it got ruined somewhere. So shoot now, our you new, don't you know anybody who has a copy somewhere? Oh, I have a copy. Oh, okay, good, good, that. good. I have a copy. I, won't, well, I can't give it to you because it's my last. No, one. I know it. But you know, I I just wanted something that you know the family could have or something, and uh, and so uh, you know we just took the poems that I wrote and just kind of put them on a book. And Sue's got another book on the computer, and um, and maybe someday we'll we'll publish it. You know, like she did her book. Yeah. You know, you've seen her book. Yeah. And, um, and I just told her, I said, you know, when, you, when you're going to do this book, remember this, that this is a long, long, long time that people have this. They're liable to. They yeah. could have. You know, it could be passed down generations from now. So make sure you do it, that something that you're proud of and something that is first class as mm. best as you possibly can. And the book that we first did, it was just, just kind of thrown together and something I mean, it was stapled together, and it was decent, you know, and it had the poems in it, but or some of the poems in it. But um, the the more important thing was that we just had something, and and we were it was a learning process, and so I'm not overly proud of that book, though it is a book. Um, the next one will be it, it'll be decent, you know, it'll be something that. Um, but I don't do a lot of I don't do a lot of performances anymore, but. I, I've kind of morphed into a notion that it needs to be important. It, what I go to do, I I, kinda, I toured with the country western singer, and I opened his shows for him. Mm. And we went to Montana State, and Diamond Reel was was there, and they needed somebody to open for him. And this country western singer was sure he was the guy, 
And they tapped me on the shoulder and said, is there any chance you'd open for us? No kidding. I said, well, yeah. yeah you I opened did. for Diamond Rio? Yeah, yeah. And uh, That's awesome. And, uh, and, and so the, the thing about poetry um, is you get the crowd really focused, you know, because they got to listen to what you're saying, but yep. they don't get it. And they were laughing. It was like 5,000 people in this auditorium, and they were just they were just having a great time, you know. And it was really a good performance. And you, you, I can't you, when you're on stage, there's so many lights, you can't really see that good. But, yeah. but uh, I could tell they were having a good time. And uh, and when it was all done, um, Diamond Rio as a group w- was a little high headed. You know, they were kind of thought more of themselves than I figured they ought to. Because mm-hmm. to me, they were just folks. You know, we were both in a green room, green room together. And yeah. I thought, well, here you are and here I am, and we're both even, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, it's not the way they, yeah. they they come across to me. I don't know what they are. But um, but um, anyway, I toured with this guy, and I was going to open his shows, and he was such a doink. He, he was just, <laughs> he got thrown in jail. Oh, man. Know? And uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know him at all. He, I'd, I'd opened for him out here at the county fair and here in Moses Lake. And he asked me if I would open for him, travel with him and stuff. And so I did, thinking, yeah, maybe maybe I'll do poetry instead of farm. I don't know. Yeah. And so I did, I don't know, hundreds of shows. Really? And uh, and met some cool people. Boy, I, I really did meet some cool people. I, re- I opened for Ricky Skaggs and, um, uh, down in Tri-Cities and uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I opened for them in Chewila. And, you know, got to meet these folks. And yep. It was just cool because Ricky Skaggs, all he wanted to do was go fishing. He heard that I was from Moses Lake. Hey, Potholes Reservoir is right down the road. I hear there's some good fish in there. I said, yep, there is, and I know how to catch them. And he says, let's go fishing. How did he know about that? Well, I don't I mean, know. Here's a guy from across the yeah, country, yeah. famous yeah. You know, country music is. artist. I think he's, uh, you know, he was interested enough. I mean, we talked after after his deal was done, and mine, you know, mine had ov- was obviously done. And we sat there around his trailer, and uh, and you know, I think he was interested enough in fishing that he looked that stuff up before he ever came. Yeah, you know, yeah, he had his people, whoever. Hey, where's a good fishing spot? Yeah. You know, I hear that, my, uh, you know, Potholes Reservoir has got some good bass in it. Really? There's good, <laughs> well, uh, you know. And so when he and I were talking, hey, I heard about this. And he brought it up and I said, well, yeah, they have tournaments there all the time. You know, catch yep. these big buggers, you know, yeah. these five-pound bass and so on. Well, we need to go there, you know. And, and Did you take them fishing? No, we didn't. Neither <laughs> one of us had time, but I was farming, you know. Yeah. But but it was just cool, you know, because yeah. you got to see what the guy was really like. You know, yeah. you hear him sing and you think, man, he's talented. Good mm-hmm. grief. He can play that whatever, you know. He was playing a mandolin that day. But, but and sing, he could sing and and. You know, I was really impressed with him, and he signed a deal that I had, and and uh, and it was cool. You know, it was cool. Nitty gritty dirt band. They're just they're just down home folks. You know, and the songs that they were singing, at least they were singing that day, were like, yeah, you thought about that when you were out swimming. I know that. <laughs> you know, you were you were just doing some regular old thing, and you thought of this song, and you put it in music, yeah. and now you're making millions of dollars off yeah. it. But but they were just regular folks, you know. What are you and thinking? Fishing in the dark? No, Is that what I was you're thinking, thinking about <laughs> um, um, the one where the the little girl is uh, 
twirling around, and she had her little crinolines swinging in the. I can't remember the name uh, of the song, or yeah. whatever, but it was it was cool, and it was. So, it, you know, I met some people that I would have never otherwise met, and uh, and when it was all said, and like I was telling you, I did the deal with the teachers. I didn't know if I was going to connect with them at all, but I got to I got to visit with them in their setting, in their their native get, habitat get together, whatever yeah. wh- whatever you call yeah. that thing, their conference, I guess you could call it. Yep. And uh, and and so it was it was cool, you know. I I really enjoyed it. And um, but like here the other day, the um, state representatives running for reelection, and, he, and on his kickoff deal. He said, "Hey, is there any?" And I put up his hay for him. So he said, "He said, is there any chance?" And we're buddies, you know. And yeah. is there any chance that you'd come and uh, and do a couple of poems at my kickoff deal? So I said, "Well, sure," you know. And there was a doctor there, and I did a poem that that talked about a doctor and how they they charge a plenty, and you know, and, and and I wasn't I wasn't upset with them. Yeah. I'm just saying that. Yeah. You know. Um. Um. And so it was just something that I. It's a way that I can express my feelings, yeah. but I felt all along since the very beginning that this is not just a just a you know uh, a candle in a cupcake, so to speak, that you light and you know so on. It's important. It has value, yeah. Yeah. you know. And you can either say important things, and sometimes just laughing is important. Sometimes yeah. it's important, I think, to just kind of kick back and laugh about stuff and and so on. And, um, words are important. They are, they are, they really are, you know? So, uh, when you have that sort of mindset, it changes everything. You know, you're not just blabbering, you're saying something. And, uh, and so that's kind of where I felt like I was at, uh, in the poetry deal and, and the farming deal. It's, you know, I don't do anything spectacular. I don't have the latest equipment and the newest and the, you know the whole technology, and I'm not into all that. Yeah, I wish I was, but it costs a lot of money, and I don't need it for what I'm doing. And uh, it's just important to me that whatever it is that I'm doing, whether it's poetry or or husbanding or grandparenting or farming or whatever it is, that I do it the best I can mm. because that's all I've got to offer. You know, and well, I think that's to me that's what's the most important part about farming and what is in front of us today you know yeah there, there's so much talk about chemicals and and uh, you know how we should eat and what's going to kill us and what's not going to kill us and all that stuff the people that are doing that they're doing it for a reason they're mm. doing it because not just because they can make money because a lot of times you don't you know look at this year for instance good grief our costs are up at least half again what they were last year one year and i'm thinking you know I don't know. I don't know whether I'm going to make any money or not. I know one year I lost twenty percent of my calves before at birth. Mm. So I knew right off this was a year I was going to make zero money, mm. profit wise. You know there was going to be no money left over. I was going to be lucky if I could pay my bills, and I knew that. And I was still excited to farm, yeah, because the job that I had to do was exactly the same as it was the year when. Calves were a buck and a half at that time. You know, my job was the same. Whether I made money or didn't make money didn't change what my job was. So, and and I I honestly believe that is the driving force among farmers in the world today. Mm. You know, at least in the little world that I live in. 
the people I know, they're 100% sold out to doing a good job. You know? They're not just in it to get rich. No, no. I say that and anybody in farming laughs. Yeah. <laughs> get, get, rich. Yeah. get rich. Good luck. But, but you know, in all honesty, um, we're getting to the age where we're going to retire, do something. We're going to do something different. You know, as time goes by, you know, you can, yeah. the clock turns and you can feel that there's a, there's a new season coming on. And, uh, and so, uh, as we think about that, we have absolutely zero retirement mm. except that dirt out there. Mm. That dirt is our retirement. We've yeah. put every penny we've had into the machinery and the dirt and the cows and the horses and, the, you know, all that stuff. And, and, uh, and there's enough there that we can live comfortably the rest of our life if we didn't turn another ranch, mm. you know, so th- there is a retirement, you know, talk to the inch to the accountant here a while back. Well, what happens if I sell everything and there's going to be a huge tax liability? Yeah. I said, well, I haven't paid any taxes along the way. You know, I really haven't because with farming, there's so much expense that, that you're, by the time you buy a piece of machinery, you can depreciate it out. Yeah. So your income looks like you're it's zero, but. But your gross Actually, number, what's yeah. moving through in yeah. and out because yeah. of the, you know, yeah. income. It, it, there's yeah. a lot of money comes in. All that money goes out. <laughs> <laughs> and you look at your bank account. And you you say, try to hang on to a couple bucks. still zero. What happened? <laughs> you know, I had I had quite a bit of money come in this year, but it's all gone. You know? <laughs> but, it you know, we we put it into machinery and land and, and that kind of thing. So uh, I said, I don't mind paying taxes. It doesn't bother me. It's just... You know, one big lump sum, you think, well, that's terrible. But the reality is I've actually deferred my tax liability, yeah. you know, to, to the time when I can probably afford it the best. And, yeah. you know, when you sell that stuff, you do get some money out of it. So. so what are you farming right now? I'm farming about 500 acres of, and it's primarily hay. It, it's What kind of hay? Alfalfa hay and grass hay, you know, those two. And, uh, um you know, I rotate the alfalfa out and make oat hay out of it, but that just goes to cow feed. You know, mm-hmm. I got, I've got about um, I don't know, eighty head of cows or so, mama cows, and uh, and the the in all honesty, the thing that that is my vacation or my my rejuvenation thing is the horses and cows. You know, yeah. first the horses and second the cows. Yeah. Well, for for beef. Yeah, this. Um, yeah, they're all beef cows. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know there there's just something about seeing a calf born and uh, you know seeing all that happen without any intervention on your part. Yeah, you're just sitting there watching it. Saying, Another miracle. Yeah. You know, there you are. If that ain't a miracle, I don't know what is. But that looks like a miracle to me, and it it balls just like a miracle, and it you know it's just like a miracle. <laughs> and so it must be a miracle. <laughs> you know, so yeah. there there's. There's some real value in that stuff that I think is somewhat lost in the hustle and bustle of life. Yeah. You know, you see a colt that's born and they get up and they run and they don't have a care in the world. It's like kids, you know, you see them, they just do what they do. These colts, they, and the next thing you know, they're old enough, you start working with them and you start bonding with them, connecting with them and you know, they're contrary. They don't want to do what you want them to do. So you set it up. So what they want to do is exactly what you want them to do. Yep. And they think they're winning, and you know you're winning. And next thing you know, you're sitting on their back. 
and and they're twirling around or they're working a cow or they're you know on a cat cow or something yep. you know i mean things are happening that they never even they were born to do it they were they were bred to do it all their genetics say you can do this yeah and uh yet they didn't have a clue that's what they were going to end up doing and you just set it up to where they can it's like it's like uh you know you, you're just right in the groove of where you're supposed to be you can see it so quickly with cows and horse, with animals you know you can see it so you, you get a calf you know we had a calf this year that was uh it was a twin and uh i didn't even know it was a twin i just knew it was a calf and i couldn't find its mama so i staked them out i tied a piece of string to a tire and to their leg and waited till some mama cow came and got them and one of them the ca- the cow came up she had a calf fall on her she come up hey hey it's right here here's the dinner table you know and She's raising both of those calves just like she didn't know any better. Hmm. Now the one, the other one didn't give a hoot about it. I know which cow it is, and uh, and I'm looking. Come on, it's your calf. What are you doing? Well, she was towing another one around. Hmm. She said, "I got one. That's enough for me." And she didn't give enough milk for two anyway. Huh. So we just brought it in and nursing it. You know, just bottle feeding it and stuff. And uh, so there's there's so much value in that stuff. That goes beyond whether you make money or whether you're, you know, um, famous or, yep. you know, anybody taps you on the back. Or it, it all comes from from the the sense that I understand there is a higher power and I'm living within that. And and um, that's that's pretty big. That's bigger than anything I could enunciate. So, you know, the poems, they're they're not mine. You know, I'd like to claim them, but they're not mine. <laughs> they're, you know, when I wrote the one about my dad, um, it was it was something that so poignantly said how I felt about him that, um, and he told me afterwards, he was kind of crying, and he says, I don't think I can ever live up to that. I said, Dad, you already have. You know, that's where it come from. <laughs> so, you know, those kind of things are important to me. Yeah. And, and um, it's just who I am as a farmer, nothing special. But I, I do sense that it's way bigger than me, and it's way bigger than the job I'm doing. And yeah. so the only thing I can do is the best I can. You know. Well, and the, the hay that you grow mm-hmm. becomes feed for mm-hmm. cattle mm-hmm. that either produce beef or milk, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. I know my dad's dad fed almost exclusively alfalfa mm-hmm. out of this area. Mm-hmm. And he would come over here, and he wanted to see the fields himself. And all the years that he dairied, he fed that alfalfa. Well, that turned into an awful lot of milk. It did, yeah. So while you aren't producing food that goes right under the shelf, you are. I am. I am. You know, um, the guy that I farm for, he tests every single cutting of hay. Hmm. Every one. We go up and down the stack and pull samples out of that stack randomly through that stack. And not one time have I produced hay that did not test what it should have. Hmm. It was never bailed late. It was. Ne- I've done it for twenty years now. This is my twentieth wow. year, and uh, I not one time have I ever not bailed it on time. Doesn't mean it didn't get rained on. Doesn't mean that that it that everything tested exactly right, because there's so much that's out of your control. Yeah. But as far as what I can do, I can honestly say there's never been one time that hay needed to be bailed and I wasn't there bailing yeah. it. 
you know, in 20 years. So. Yeah, making hay is tricky because yeah. really it's yeah. Mother Nature. You know, it's it the is. sun and the yeah. wind that's, yeah. that do most yeah. of the work. Yeah. You just cut it. Yeah. And then you got to get it and into a bale. At it and, uh, you know, Rocky would always tell me he said, uh, when we were putting up grass hay, he says, Ron, what you got to do is cut it and then go fishing. He said, go fishing. Don't even worry about it. Don't think about it. Don't look at it. Don't keep going and testing it. And I, I mean, I couldn't, but yeah. I, I was just, you know, we were in uh, Washington, D.C. one time. Uh, Sue got a, an award and we were in Washington, D.C. And I didn't have hay on the ground, but I had calves on the ground. And, uh, I'm thinking, man, I got to get back there. That's all there is mm-hmm. to it. I got to get back there. There's something going on, and I don't know what it is, but I need to be there, you know. And yeah. so we'd be gone for, you know, it might be gone for three or four days, and I'm just chomping at the bit <laughs> to get back yeah. because there's something going on, and I'm afraid that I might miss something, in, you know, that I should be doing that I'm not doing. Yeah. And so um, it, it, I think most farmers are that way. Yeah. I think that is the common thread that runs through them all is that this is all I can do. Yeah. This is this is my job. Even if I'm not going to be a farmer my whole life, as long as I'm here, all I can offer is my labor, my yeah. my personal input. I think you're keying in there on one of the reasons that explains why farmers are willing to put in ridiculous amounts of effort mm-hmm. and hours. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, why are you doing that, you know? Yeah. And of course, some years they'll say, oh, well, I see why you did that. Look at, you know, look at all that money you made. And other yeah. years they're like, yeah. why did you do that? You lost money. You worked yeah. your tail yeah. off all year long and you lost money. Why would anybody ever do that? Mm-hmm. And and I think what you're explaining right there mm-hmm. is the reason. Yeah. Because, you know, people say, well, it's a lifestyle. and Yeah, but there's more to it than that. It's you're a part of the farm. What? It's a reflection yeah. of you. Yeah. And you are hands-on with everything as it's going. Yeah. So it's not just punching a clock. No, it isn't. It really isn't. Because, uh, you know, when you think about it, you start with a cow, and she's just a cow. Then you put a bull with her, and all of a sudden she's got a little calf growing in her. didn't have anything to do with me. I didn't. All mm-hmm. I did was just expose them together. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that calf is born. And that year when I lost 20 of them, I saved 40 of them. Mm. You know, and I'm going to say... Every single one of those needed my attention. Mm. And uh, you can only do what you can do. And there were 20 of them that died, mm. but there were at least 40 of them that I helped, that I was instrumental in them staying alive. Mm. And if you don't get a reward out of that, there's something wrong. Yeah. You know, you're in the wrong job or something. Yep. So, um, but but like you say, that year I knew, even though I, I got a great sense of gratitude, uh, you know, accomplishment and gratification from helping 40 calves stay alive, I still knew I took a 20% pay cut, and there's not that kind of margin. Yeah. So, you know, go figure. I Plus, know. It, it just hurts to lose those animals, yeah, too. Exactly. Because you were probably trying exactly. just as hard you know, to save them. You're there fiddling with them, and they're dying in your arms. Mm. There's just there's just nothing fun about that. I hate that. I, that just tears me up. What was I, it? What was going on? It was cold. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it started snowing the first day they were born. You know, I started calving. First calf born in the snow, and uh, it was a real wet snow. And so they'd melt down in the snow and get cold. Mm. And, you know, if you weren't right there within 15 minutes, they were too cold to stay alive. Mm. They weren't dead right then, most of them. Yeah. You know, you, you get them in the house, you bring them in the house, and, you know, you try 
heat blankets and you know bathtubs full of warm water and stuff and try to bring them back to life and some of them actually would would you know be alive for you know six or eight hours and then they were just so weak that mm. they just could not maintain mm. and like i say they would i had umpteen calves die in my arm this spring i had a heifer calf that um i was out there and this calf was i couldn't feel a heartbeat but i i thought that i thought there might have been a little flicker and uh i spent an hour and a half cpr cpr in him breathing in him you know giving him mouth to mouth and mm. so on nothing fun about that but it's all i could do and he died mm. you know and mm. i come in the house and i you know i, I mean i'm not a big crier but i'm willing to cry i guess because yeah. it, it's just it just heart it's heart wrenching it's not a little deal you know there was a living being that died right there in front of your face you know and so it's uh it, it, it's just uh I, I don't know i think it's so it's so much deeper than than a job or yeah or an occupation or an endeavor you know there's life and death involved at times like you say with the hay if you don't put it up right if you don't do your part and get it put up right that dairyman, instead of getting X number of pounds out of that bale of hay, he gets less than that. Yeah. He, he deserves to get the right amount. You know, he deserves to get all he can out of it. He's paying a lot of money for that. And, uh, you know, it's just all I can offer is my help or, or my input. But I don't have to cut a bunch of corners. There's no reason that I have to. Yeah. And I think that's that's a pretty common thread among farmers. Just offer what you can. You know, I look at the farmers that are successful, and I'm so proud of them. You know, there's a guy over here that that um, revolutionized this country, the, this area of town that I'm living in, by picking rocks. Hmm. You think, picking rocks? There's no life in those rocks. Well, there's life in the dirt that those rocks are yeah. surrounded by. And yeah. he picked the rocks, and that there was a, far, a field that I'd herded cows across. I couldn't even ride a horse across it. There were so many rocks. It was just that wow. rough, you know. It was just yeah. barnacles everywhere, and cows would kind of go around the rocks and stuff, and uh, and they're farming it today. Wow. And it was that guy's doing, single-handedly, his doing. And, you know, I'm proud of him. Uh, I think he ought to be rewarded for that in a big way, Yeah. you know. Um, so it, it's that, those kind of things that I look at in my lifetime. Um, my dad was a, was was bent on doing what he could, doing what he could, doing what he could. And uh, he wasn't overly progressive, but at the same time, he only had what he had, and he, he just always did it the best he could. And yep. uh, it was important to him that what he said was what he did. What he did was what he said. Those two always lined up. Mm -hmm. And um, so one thing that, that, uh, that the neighbor, um, he's a younger farmer, and uh, and. There, there have been times when I haven't changed water, you know, moved the lines the way I should have. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd let it go because it's not that big a deal. And I was talking to him about it, and I said, you know, I've ch I've struggled with that, you know, getting myself to actually go out and change the water when it needed, when it could have been changed, should have been changed. And he says, you know, and, and he's probably been farming for 20 years anyway himself. And he says, I don't think I've ever done that. And hmm. I thought, man, I'm proud of you for yeah. You know, that you can say that about yourself. Yeah. I've never once not changed the line. There's other things he hasn't done, you know, yeah. but as far as changing mm -hmm. water, you know, one thing that, 
probably is my weakest suit out of the whole deal. Yeah. He, he can honestly say, I don't right. think I've ever not changed the line when it needed to change. <laughs> Screw you then. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ron, thanks for having me out here to the farm. Yeah. And, and thank you for sharing your story and your wisdom. I mean, you, you, you've seen a lot and you've done a lot of thinking too. I can tell. I really and, have. And that's important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think far, there's something to be said for farming for that because you, you have lots of time probably out in the mower or the tractor or whatever, or working with cattle where you have time to think deeply about stuff, you know? Yeah. And that, and that's yeah. something that, you know, in my office job, I don't always get, you know, and I miss that. Yeah, but you're driving down the road. That's I would, true. I would challenge for the you podcast to, now. Yeah. yeah, you know, I really would. I would challenge you to, you know, to consider the importance of what you're doing, not just the doing it, but the yeah. importance of it. And uh, you know, because someday there'll be a day when you when you're got your feet up or in the evening or whatever, and you say, I, I think I'll just watch some more YouTube <laughs> or or you know, dink around, do something. Yeah, you know, you could redeem that time better, and either do or don't. You know, it's up to you. Yeah. so well thank you again i really do appreciate it no problem at all glad to do it you're welcome here anytime by the way you can come in and i'll i'll either put you to work (laughs) i might do that sometimes (laughs) just have a little bit of a craving to get out in the field somewhere this could be your lucky day (laughs) (laughs) this is the real food real people podcast these are the stories of the people who grow your food 